Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Welcome back to Parts Unknown, the wrestling podcast that offers a comprehensive WrestleMania Rewind. I mean, we're watching all the WrestleManias and then talking about them for a bit. It's ever so much fun. Today, we're chatting all things Mania 15, the super show that took place at the first Union Center in that hotbed of wrestling, Philadelphia. The show happened on the 28th of March, 1999, before a crowd of just north of 20,000. And it's one of those that, as a child, seemed great. Watching it again as an adult, not so much. Although, praise be to the higher power, it's under three hours. As you know by now, I've got my trusty faction alongside me, Muddy Knees Media's very own version of the Ministry of Darkness. First up, DDP calls him Axel, we call him Anton, and sometimes Axel because it amuses us. From Sky Sports News, it's Anton to Louis. Hello there. Next, she has a master's in wrestling, if only a basic grasp of thugonomics. I think you better recognise Dr. Carrie Dunn. Hello. And last but not least, by day he has his fingers in a vast assortment of media pies, but by night he's the PU crew's very own hired gun. It's Carl Anker. Hello. Oh, that was rather prosaic, but okay. We'll, we'll, we'll okay. Uh, <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> ah, nice. That's better. Before we get to the matches, Boys to Men kick things off with a rendition of America the Beautiful. Uh, Anton, what's your favourite Boys to Men song and why is it I'll Make Love to You? <laughs> Hang on, was that. Was that a proposition? Uh, We'll see how this show goes. Yeah, Yeah. get me a couple more beers. All right, to the matches then. And seeing as it had ramifications for the main event, let's start with Mankind versus the big show, Paul White. The stip here was that the winner got to referee Austin versus Rock for the WWF title later in the night. Big show using his real name here, having left WCW when he was the giant. Uh, He'd left earlier in the year and debuted during the Austin McMahon match at February's St. Valentine's Day Massacre pay-per-view. He came out to Vince's music here. Uh, He signed a 10-year contract with a massive downside guarantee. Carrie, fair to say that the WWF would come to regret that. It didn't exactly motivate him. Not so much, but I can't imagine what they were expecting, to be honest. This is just Big Show doing Big Show things, surely. And, yeah, the Vince music thing was weird. And all I've got written down for this match is Vince keeps saying, damn it. That's literally my note on this match. But it's it's good the way he says it, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's, it's very Vince. But when you're doing it a billion times in the space of about 10 minutes, not so great. Um, Anton, can you explain, in this match, Show got himself DQ'd. Now, he was Vince's hired gun, essentially. Why did he get himself DQ'd when he was supposed to win the match to become the referee? Yeah, I mean, he did a terrible job, didn't he? Let's be brutally honest. And also, it's Vince's company. Why didn't he just make it a no-DQ match? Oh, Vince just accepts the results. <laughs> I go, oh, my plans have been scuffed. <laughs> As opposed to just thinking, oh, I'm going to let me just rectify this. It was very odd. Um, but anyone that gets chokeslammed through two chairs is, you know, quite fun. It was all right. It was, yeah, I actually quite enjoyed this. One thing I don't understand about Mankind is the mandible claw. Why doesn't someone just bite him? You cannot. Yes, you can't. Now, uh, this, he explains so this, doesn't he, in his book. It's not just fingers in your mouth. It's fingers in your mouth underneath your tongue on a pressure point. So it's a legitimate hole. A mandible claw done correctly is uh, basically hits two muscles and so, nerve. So it almost paralyzes the jaw. Yeah, you're hitting two nerve clusters underneath your tongue, so therefore it is impossible in real life to uh, bite down. Carl, for two bonus points, do you know who actually invented that move? I will have to pass, referee. It, it, anybody else? It was the doctor who was the star of the film The Fugitive. Now, when he was cleared of murdering his wife, he couldn't get work as a doctor again, so he did some stuff in independent wrestling, and one of those was to come up with that move as a finisher. Ah, 
That is fascinating. Yeah, it is, isn't it? How was Foley for you here, Carl? It's very odd because Attitude Era, Mankind and Mick Foley is less interesting than just a couple of years earlier. So when he first arrives, he's got ECW, the boiler room stuff, just really just like visceral and scary. And Pulling his own hair out and Deranged. Stuff. And then he becomes this sort of comedy figure of fun. You know, Rock and Sock was great. A lot of these suits were great, but it's just like, okay, fine. So he won by DQ. Uh, a post-match beatdown meant Kevin Kelly telling us he'd been taken to a hospital, not a local medical <laughs> facility, no. a hospital. Um, extraordinary stuff. Does anyone remember the Union, the shortly-lived faction that was uh, formed after this? Up yours? It was it was Big Show, Foley, Ken Shamrock and Test. And Vince was in it for about a week as well as he, he was kind of um, pretending that he wasn't p- part of the corporate ministry. I've, this is proper car crash, Vince Russo... WrestleMania stuff where this feels less like a WrestleMania, more just episode six of a ongoing run, which when it doesn't work is very, very confusing and bizarre because nothing truly has consequence. But the fun thing about this WrestleMania is everything is connected to something else. So you've got this overarching thing about the corporation and also you've got Undertaker doing weird stuff with the ministry in one corner. Then you've got like the budding union stuff in one corner. You've got the nation of domination doing other stuff. It's really fun. Everyone seems to have something to do. And I'd like that to happen again in modern day product, but there's just far too much programming to deal with that scripting, I think. When you um, when you finish listening to this podcast, go and, and search the Titan Tron for the union for the union. It's um it's it's a whistle like you'd get in a factory to indicate the end of a shift and then just we are the union repeated. It's um <laughs> That sounds awful. It's pretty special. You didn't sell that. <laughs> <laughs> um, from there we'll go to the main event, Rock the Champion versus Steve Austin, part one of the trilogy. Uh, HBK, the commissioner thwarts Vince's plan to be ref here, a very different match to the one they had at seventeen. Uh, did the, the no DQ stip help or, or hinder them here? They didn't spend much time in the ring carrier. I, I'd sort of forgotten that. Yeah, it was, yeah, um, not ring-based at all. Um, HBK in his full Miami Vice mode, which I actually quite enjoy that, I suppose, as far as I ever enjoyed uh, Shawn Michaels things. Yeah, I enjoyed this. This was, this was good fun. But, um, yeah, if I say very different to what they did uh, at... Uh, at 17 and it doesn't seem to be kind of it doesn't feel like the same characters either it's a completely different story and different people acting it almost if that makes sense Carl you said um, that we maybe look back on there the final match at 19 through rose tinted spectacles is this one number two out of three then in terms of ranking the three matches yeah I think comfortably I think again because it's it's less about Rock versus Austin and more about this larger story of Stone Cold versus Vince McMahon which does somewhat of the service to the Rock so he was the corporate champion at the time because he had switched. He turned heel and started working with Vince. Um, something I found really nice, I think it was two years ago, The Rock uploaded a photograph to Instagram and basically thanked Stone Cold. I don't want to say holding his hand, but basically getting the locker room to calm down about the fact that Rock was going to headline this WrestleMania. So apparently The Rock was really, really nervous. Um, there were murmurings backstage that The Rock wasn't ready for this for this main event slot. And basically Stone Cold went, all of you shut up. This guy's legit. He's the champ. We're going to go down there and tear the, you know, tear the house down. It's a great match. It's got, it's got that bizarre, ludicrous, brawling violence that only really occurs when a Stone Cold match happens, where they're just like rolling around the floor and you don't know if they're punching or kissing, and it's great because it's just ah, just gotta overwhelm you with my being. 
your kissing technique is weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get a Luthez press every so often, which um, Mick Foley called a move so silly it should be called the dick to the mouth. <laughs> which I think is quite accurate. Um, Anton, if Rock wasn't maybe at his peak here, it's interesting what Carl's saying there because he managed to avoid that, that kind of Machiavellian scheming that goes on behind the scenes. We know that he and Triple H weren't the best of friends during this time. Obviously, Sean was kicking around too. Do you think that's because Stone Cold had his back or Vince or because his dad and his granddad had said, listen, this is how the business works and, and maybe alerted him to some of the, the potential pitfalls? I think mainly the latter, but also I think Vince is good at what he does. Like him or loathe him, Vince is good at what he does. And it's clear to see Rock's promos. The, any kind, any time the Rock went in the ring, he got a reaction. They knew he was the guy. You know, the, he might not have been had a traditional wrestling route, and obviously he had his family background, and some people felt like he was thrust into the main event, but he was he was going to be the guy. They knew, and they backed him, which, rightly or wrongly, you know, was a bit of a risk at the time, I'm sure. But and this was this was as Carl said, it was a fantastic match. Is what I think of of the era. This is the best kind of version of that match. It's chaotic, and there's a feud there. For, there's multiple feuds kind of going on, at, but it's it's great, and the crowd are really into it which makes the intensity even more believable and i yeah it's so when i look back at the feud i really really like this match i think it's definitely number two of three as you said and there's little there's great little spots that you know the reversal over the lighting structure and stone cold's knee bends backwards and looks genuinely painful and so it's not just fighting on the outside for the sake of it there's some really nice choreographed moves as well as just i want to tear you apart which i think i think this match is actually quite underrated i really enjoyed it so those two did their part, but we could have done without the unprotected chair shots to the referee's head and maybe the um, the McMahon interference. Once, once again, it's kind of a main event that's all about Vince. That's going to get less and less as we go back through the years. But at this stage, he just couldn't help himself, could he? <laughs> at, at this stage, not any time in the past 20 years. Um, yeah, I guess because it's so far back, you kind of cut me a little bit more slack and... It's it's not so kind of cliche for that to happen, the McMahon interference, as it would be now. But I'm kind of finding this interesting talking about uh, the way that The Rock uh, developed into a main eventer, because obviously we're seeing the same thing now, kind of sticking, keeping faith with Roman Reigns in the main event, obviously also has got that family background, and yet that isn't working. So what's the difference between then and now, do you think? I think it's because Roman hasn't didn't have the heel run didn't get the corporate champion run didn't get the i'm going to completely destroy billy gunn singles career on the mic because Rowan reigns instead just went suffering succotash here's me here's me with another fight with big show um i'm sure there is a version of roman reigns that can be amazing and do the stuff the rock does but i don't think wwe has enough well trust the talent outside of roman reigns to let him do it or Doesn't... Roman Reigns himself. Yeah, there's a lot of rock in the rock in mm. the in the characters. A lot of Dwayne mm. Johnson yeah. in the rock. Whereas Roman Reigns is actually just quite a nice mum and really charming guy. But that doesn't come across in your in your in your champ. You need him to be, you know, my, this is my yard. He's kind of saying the lines that you, ex- you expect that guy to be. I don't necessarily believe it's him, especially when you you meet him. And that's I think that's for me that's what holds. But that's what makes doesn't make him as believable as the guy in the, in the industry because it's it's not him. You're not playing a part. He's not. He's just playing a part and not massively playing it that well because I don't think he's massively invested in it. And also, the Rock had Austin. Yeah. The Rock had Austin. The Rock had Triple H. The Rock had Mankind. The Rock had 
the greatest supporting cast, I don't want to call them supporting cast, but adversaries and allies in WWE history. Roman Reigns, all the really good wrestling characters in WWE right now, like the best two are The Shield, who are next to him. So he hasn't got anyone to... And the other guy who's fantastic that he can scratch and claw and fight against is Braun Strowman. But they, they keep getting that feud wrong. So the big one for me was when they did the ambulance match and then Roman Reigns tried to murder Braun Strowman by reversing the ambulance in the car. And I'm like, that's a... You've done it. You've done the double turn. Like, Roman Reigns is a heel. Braun is a face. Go with it. And then next week, nope. Nope. We're going to stay the course and Roman Reigns is going to do this. I'm like, oh, you know... Come on. See, even when we're talking about something 19 years ago, all Roman roads lead back to Reigns. Um, let's get back to WrestleMania 15. Triple H versus Kane's the next match we're going to discuss. China had turned on DX to align herself with the corporation in the build. She'd reunite with Trips here. Um, tell those who didn't live through the period uh, that who the corporation were, Carrie. It was, it was a very faction-heavy period around this time. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, it's so confusing, all the factions that are going on at this point. But, um, yes, yeah, so China's turn at this point. Uh, so I can't even remember what, how long things have been going on or what the whole kind of time scale was at this point. But the point is, is that China's interference comes here to turn what actually happens afterwards and then has ramifications throughout the rest of the show and then into the next uh, period of storyline afterwards. Um China here is also, um, she's like a glorious Amazon and she suddenly appears and she gets massive pop and then she kind of gets thrown into ridiculous matches for the title afterwards as well. And that makes me really sad. And I've got distracted by talking about the corporation because China just makes me really sad. China and Owen Hart, I can't deal with these WrestleManias. I'm going to have to go and have a lie down. It's awful. <laughs> it's interesting that this was kind of the, the start of Trip's push as a single star even though they took him out of one faction in DX, they, they didn't feel comfortable enough to just let him run as his own actor, as him plus China. He had to be part of the corporation still. Was that necessary, do you think? Oh, yeah. He's not ready yet. And you, we, you see in WrestleMania 16 slash 2000, Triple H, Triple H's evolution anyway, is really interesting as a wrestling character. There's that um, video, YouTube video by Max Landis, who is not a nice man, but did a very good wrestling video about why wrestling isn't wrestling, uh, which basically went, here is Triple H's entire storyline in wrestling from DX in 1997, 96, all the way up until the present day and the Daniel Bryant feud. And basically he's the most long running, interesting character we've got in fiction since, I don't know, ever possibly. You don't see someone on TV for that long. And I really enjoy these matches and I really enjoy these, these WrestleManias because he clearly needs China. And in the same way, um, you know, to bring it forward, in the same way right now they're doing Dolph Ziggler, I need Drew McIntyre to get the job done. I always love a wrestling feud where you can't get the thing done without your enforcer. And it's really fascinating where the enforcer is a woman. And it's really fascinating that he is so open about it in so many of these matches. Triple H is very much like, where's China? Get China here right now. I need this done. Um, this match isn't particularly great wrestling. It's very interesting watching young, smaller Triple H in tights have a more varied moveset rather than the 20 moves he does week in, week out later on. Um, but yeah, it's all about China. And, and we'll, we'll be saying this a lot backwards and forwards that a lot of Triple H in this point in time is all about the person next to him, which is China. But that's the only interesting thing about him as well. As a character... 
there's nothing really there that I can see. I mean, this this series of WrestleMania that we're watching, I'm not interested in what he's doing ever. It's all about what she's doing or what she could do or the interference she could offer. She's the interesting one. Which is in, which is interesting where you play it forward now and then, you know the last couple of WrestleManias. The good stuff isn't Triple H. It's what Stephanie's doing behind him. And I don't know if, if he knows that yet, but there's a Triple H is a really interesting character because he's there's Triple H, there's Papa Paul, and there's just this weird cipher villain where you just look at him and I'm gonna I hate you because you represent uh, the reign of terror where just people can politic their way to get the top. You represent everything bad about America and racism because I support Booker T. You represent the bodybuilder thing. You represent this wing, and which is his strength and probably why he endured for so long. Triple H is fascinating because I don't think he particularly stands for anything other than what you want to put onto him. Axel, fourth mania here for, for trips. We've spoken a lot about him, but Kane, have we given him enough props for, for the length of his run? I, I'm a huge Kane fan, to be honest. I, know, I, know, I, I think I get a little bit of stick, actually, because he's just consistent. He's in better matches than you think. We talk most weeks about how similar Undertaker's matches are similar size but you know Kane is more agile than people give him credit for he's put in worse storylines a lot of time and will give you a decent midway match now you know it's I'm not saying he's the, the greatest of all time but we talk about the workhorses of WWE he's one of the best workhorses they've ever had in my opinion and that character should be one dimensional shouldn't it but you think not only of corporate Kane but that I am the tag team champions with Daniel Bryan that would come later which was a hoot yeah, and you think of even his one-dimensional fire and brimstone character. He would switch from face to heel to protector of people to demonizer and rapper. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he and his matches tended to go at a half decent. This goes at a half decent pace. It's not you know, especially in the, the on the pay per views that he's not as lumbering as many people his size. I've, I'm a, I'm a huge Kane fan, and I, I genuinely don't think he gets enough credit. Um, Pete Rose also featured in this match, and that's all I got to say about that. I would like to say something about that. I I do think it rather undercuts your serious sad feud with Triple H when you have a man dressed as a chicken preceding <laughs> it. A dis- disgraced former baseball legend, by the way. This is a figure who was one hell of a, you know, an MLB legend that got busted for various things and then thought, how can I, you know, how can I redeem myself? I'll get into professional wrestling dressed dressed as a chicken. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbird styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. 
So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Right, so next up, we're going to talk about the European title match. Now, this kind of uh, fed into what we spoke about earlier with uh, Triple H and China. It was X-Pac against Shane McMahon. Shenanigans galore after a pre-match promo from a supposedly reunited DX. Um, the fans used to hate X-Pac around this time. Was that because of the Bronco Buster? Uh, or just his general sort of annoyance. But X-Pac sucks was a sign that you would see at every event. Yeah, it's because he sucks. Right, OK. <laughs> <laughs> we could elaborate, but no, but yeah, that's that's the short version. Um, the Stooges took a, a pre-match pasting here. We we know they had a, would later go on have a memorable evening gown match, a hardcore evening gown match. Uh, they were absolutely fabulous around this time, Carl. I don't know if it was a bit before your time, but to legit hall of fame as the first ever intercontinental champion in pat patterson and gerald briscoe who was you know a famed wrestler in his own variety but more than happy to send themselves up in their role as uh, as vince's lackeys oh it was great by all accounts pat patterson is is a relative good egg amongst the old guard and like sneaks in and has a beer with the nxt lot when they do a takeover and yeah it was just great watching him act like a goofball and put over younger talent which is not what we get often it's normally the old guy going hello grandfather strength uh, this match is i like this match because it's baby shane before baby i'm baby shane i'm going to try and kill myself for my dad's attention and the whole match is i'm a slippery oink uh, uh, producer ben's just shown me the story which i tried to forget about when x-pac tore his anus on an independent show last year uh, <laughs> but now he's put that image in my head it's in it's in everybody else's now um it People thought he sucked in the crowd, Anton, but I reckon even though he was a bit of a naughty boy away from uh, away from the ring around this time, the company liked him because he was somebody who could be relied upon basically to make Shane look good in matches like this. Yeah, and his kick to the face heel kick always looked really nice. And I kind of I don't really I can't stand the Bronco Buster as a move, but it got that attitude kind of era sort of element to it. It would it never was. hurt though, would it? No, of course it wouldn't. It was strangely quite common on the school playground just explain what it is for people who might uh, not know the bronco bluster is your opponent is in one of the corners you run up towards them and leap crutch first to their chest jump up and down did you have a ring at school uh, um we built one well, we, we were you know during school playgrounds we get enough chairs and we build like a ring in part of the playground if you get Flown, thrown over like a, the chair that you eliminated for the Royal Rumble. Your nineties were really different to my nineties. <laughs> All boys school. <laughs> um, potential WrestleMania moment here for me. So Triple H and China turn on X Pac at the end of this match. They join the corporation, and uh, Road Dog blasts Triple H with that big nose son of a bitch, Hurst Hunter Hunter. He's finished that jack off. And, yeah, and then he repeats jack off. Yeah, again. Uh, That's ja- the kind of writing you get on SmackDown these days. It really is. Jackov, which is, it's just, I've, I've never really understood that insult because it just sounds a bit Russian. So <laughs> it's all a bit weird. Like, you Jackoff, as in, like, that's an act. <laughs> it's not, I don't understand what you're calling me. Um, yeah, I don't That's what I didn't understand about this. So Shane wins the title due to China, and then China rejoins, seemingly rejoins DX, and then, so Xbox, but Xbox doesn't mind. He's okay, even though that she's the one that cost him the title. Why is an X-Pac like, no, mate, get her out. 
go. But it doesn't matter anyway, really, obviously, because they joined the corporation. But there's a lot just, of weird uh, moments in this match. Yeah, so yeah. the the story, you know, Shane can't wrestle, and that's the story. He can't wrestle. He's a toad. He's got backup from everyone else. So when Shane is using, he removes his belt and starts beating X Pac with it, and the referee doesn't ding it for DQ. I'm like, oh, that's a great little character moment. And then X Pac gets the belt and then hits Shane with it, and the ref doesn't ding him for DQ. I'm like, what's up? So belt's illegal now? Yep, yeah. It, it's full of those, again, Vince Russo, Car Crash TV. Things make sense until you think about it for more than two seconds and you go, this makes no sense. It's like the Mean Street Posse. They're like, there's the Mean, there's, there's the mean Street Posse. And then the commentators know their names. They're like, they haven't had a map. What? What's go- How do you? What? No! Like, just come on. It's little things. It's really not that difficult. I think why- Pete Gas was notorious, though. Why, why doesn't Test have a T-shirt on? As well, Tess is ringside with Shane. He's just been doing a thing with Motley Crue, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but but saying that, it's I don't I, I I can't again. I kind of enjoyed it this match. It was it was silly. It didn't make any sense. It's pure Russo, but it's all right. It's fun. Well, if you kind of enjoyed this, um, I'm I'm fairly certain in saying you won't have enjoyed what we're going to talk about next, which was the Undertaker versus Big Boss Man inside Hell in a Cell. Uh, we got a hype video for this, which was a rarity on this show. It included the uh, iconic image of Stephanie's teddy getting burned and and Vince being on his knees crying. Although it would later be revealed it was a setup all along. Um, punch, punch, kick, kick, yawn, yawn. Man gets hung. Uh, that, that's Sorry, what yeah, happened can, can we in this match. On the end bit. Man <laughs> gets hanged in the centre of the ring, and then they cut to the WWF Rage Party VT. <laughs> Man still hanging in ring. No one calling anybody. Man hanging in ring. It's no one. Why is no one doing anything? It's symbolic. No, yeah, it's a metaphor. As, as he keeps on shouting, <laughs> it's, it's symbolic. It's, 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 it's symbolic. <laughs> Is it symbolic? Because there's a you've just apparently tied a noose around someone's neck and he's in the middle of the ring dangling. I mean, come on, people! You can imagine Vince kind of going, "Listen, Ray, this is what I want you to do. Is you're gonna hang, you're gonna hang from the ring." And Bossman going, "I'd really rather not, to be honest. It's, it sounds quite dangerous, this." Um, but he was he was talked into it, and and there you go. Bet the kids in attendance were asking mum and dad some questions. It is. It's amazing how immediate everyone in the ring realizes that's bad. That it's a bad creative decision. <laughs> so the moment, the moment the cage, you know, boss man is dangling there, you get Cole going. Is this symbolic to try and cover up the gaps? But Cole, no, it's literal. Yeah, He's literally yeah, hanging yeah. there. <laughs> this is young Michael Cole. He's nowhere near equipped to call this match or pretty much any of the matches at this WrestleMania. Um, so, which is why he gets dumped for the main event and has to announce yeah. JR, which is also awkward. <laughs> so Cole, Cole is immediately trying to cut up, going, "Is this symbolic?" You can almost see it in Taker and everyone else's, and there's like a very audible intake of breath from the entire ring. Go, that's not. I, I I've never seen something just immediately like, nope. How do we get rid of? Oh, we can't get rid of this. You can't. You can't break kayfabe in this situation. Well, Credit to Boss Man. The well, the answer is to cut to the WWF Rage Party VT with the cherry cherry pop and daddies, daddies and Isaac Hastings and Chocolate Salty Balls. <laughs> oh, nineties. It was very popular at the time. Um, speaking of music, Taker's music had been had a bit of a rejig at this point. Carrie, it started with him spouting some gibberish and then asking us to accept the Lord of Darkness as your savior. Allow the pure of evil to guide you a bit rockier crap match weird twist to the gimmick but he gets some credit for, for changing up his character again we, in the same way we spoke about Kane you know it's a, potentially a one dimensional thing The Undertaker but he, he made sure that he kept himself relevant for over two decades well 
Kind of, but you know, I've said this before. Your face didn't, I know, didn't I'm say sorry. kind of there. Oh, no, he said I, fart in church. <laughs> I take the point about in terms of his character switching up, but it's still incredibly boring as we go backwards. The matches are not different. He's getting worse as well as he gets as he gets younger, and like I love Boss Man. I think Boss Man is a fascinating big man, but this is one of the big learns, and it carries. You said this like twenty two. And the Mark Henry match going, I, I'm bored of Undertaker matches yeah. now. They're, they're the same. And when you're watching them in quick succession, you notice it more that there's not that much different going on in the ring. Okay, his character, yes, might be different and you're switching things up and you're getting the little details changed. But in what we're seeing in terms of the matches, not that different. And I'm going to say something about the hanging thing. Um, it made me feel sick to see. And not just because it's hugely tasteless, but what you were saying, Matt, it looks dangerous and again watching it in retrospect WWE stunts have not always gone right and I'm watching that thinking you were running things very very close to the wind a lot of times and that looks horrible the big boss man in this match is Vince's is the corporation's head of security during the storyline Undertaker turns up at Vince's house and and threatens him and the entire family I'd fire your head of security mate that is he's a terrible head of security I mean he doesn't deserve to be hanging in the middle of the ring but I mean that's a terrible head of security it's such such weird like racial not racial undercurrent so he burns an effigy on on Vince McMahon's front yawn and then he lynches a man and I'm like but what who is the good guy yeah, I watched it with my 22-year-old brother and he, he just thought, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. And to be fair, Axel, I think that it's difficult <laughs> for a head of security to keep an eye on someone who is the Lord of Darkness if it's the Lord of Darkness That's threatening you. It's, you know, it's a tricky job. And also a, a limo driver in disguise with the, the famous where to, Stephanie, <laughs> which Stephanie tweeted about the other day that still haunts her dreams. Like, yeah, mine too, Steph. My, my, mine too. <laughs> uh, so that was that. Really, really strange. If you, if, you want to, if you want to go back and watch that, then do. But uh, I wouldn't recommend it. And nor would I recommend this. Sable versus Tory. Uh, a road warrior-like pop for Sable. And then Carrie, it went downhill from there. Yeah, um, my big takeaway from this match was how amazing Sable's breasts look. So that's all I wrote in my notes. <laughs> Nicole Bass gets involved. Oh, my God. Um, what do you remember about Nicole Bass? A bodybuilder and actress. Uh, she came to prominence through appearances on the, the Howard Stern show. She died following a stroke at the age of 52. Uh, she had a sort of strange run here, didn't she? She was a, a giant of a woman. She was, and it's another one of those ones that... Uh, Vince obviously looked at like the bodybuilder thing, like the mainstream celebrity kind of angle and wasn't quite sure how to how to use her. And the crowd never knew how to react to her either, as far as I can tell. Another sad story. Sad wrestling story. This is peak Grim Lawler. As well, let's oh, put this God. match. Is this table rising? Is this table rising? Look at those cheeks. More Playboy references, and then effectively, just it's it's like hearing a middle aged man coming in his pants at the end, isn't it? It's absolutely disgusting. Have you got anything to say about this match, Carl? Just Sable. Sable is fascinating because she is partway, somewhere in between diva, as we know it and talk about, and women's wrestler. And she will oscillate wildly between the two mid-match and mid-feud and whatnot. So there's parts where she comes and it's like, I'm a legitimate sporting athlete. I come here to to fight. And then she'll hold the belt above her and just start twerking. Uh, did she invent the twerk? No, no, she didn't. We'll, we'll talk, <laughs> I presume we'll talk more about Sable next week because she has a big role at 14 as well, doesn't she? Yeah, just 
I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to somebody we're going to talk about for the first time. Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart with Deborah defeated D'Lo, Brown and Test with Ivory. Um, this is our first look at Owen. Who, who, would, like to, who would like to talk about him? Uh, Owen Hart is Mandem because Owen Hart was in a nation of domination. <laughs> Mandem is, is millennial speak for... Uh, friend and ally to black people. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah, just I was I love the nation domination. My friend, you know, Owen Hart was in there. I didn't even think to to question it because Owen Hart had a very bizarre wrestling career, made a lot of gimmicks that shouldn't have worked work because of his enthusiasm and gracefulness in the ring. And Owen Hart, by all accounts, was a great human being. So of course, yeah, of course, Owen Hart was in a stable that was all about black empowerment. Why why would I question that? <laughs> I, yeah, God, he was a good boy. Um, we know that he died in tragic circumstances uh, in a WWF ring. I'm, I'm sure people are, are aware of the details of that, but go and look it up if you want to. Um, Anton, he was a brilliant in-ring technician. We're going to find that out as the weeks roll on. But as Carl said, he was a good character. He turned his hand to a lot of things. But in terms of his actual wrestling, superb. Yeah, so I WrestleMania 15 is the first one I don't, didn't watch like effectively the ones we go back from now I'm watching for the first time or you know as a whole for the first time and I've kind of tried to stay away from Owen Hart so I can you know from his backstory and so I can enjoy it as a fan for the first or second time I've seen his matches because I want to enjoy it as a, of a pureness as a fan so I've tried not to go too much, too much into I obviously know his backstory but I've tried not to watch too many of his matches and to watch too many, too many of his programs so I can look at this for the first time and enjoy it properly as a fan but he, and even in this, even in a relatively minor tag match, you can just see how good it is. His spinning heel kick is beautiful. He leads the match. Yeah, in all the matches you will watch over the next four or five, he's clearly just an exceptionally class class act. And it shouldn't make it any more tragic because the death of anybody is 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 awful. But it does. I mean, it really does. Mm. And uh, he was with Jeff Jarrett here, who the Raw after he died, which is amazing that they went and did that event, never mind carry on the show that he died. Jeff Jarrett did a really lovely tribute to him saying, it's the kind of business where you have lots of acquaintances, but very few friends. And um, Owen was a friend and he cries all the way through it. And, and I did watching it too. Um, so they defeated D'Lo Brown and Tess. They had Ivory with them. Strange team, D'Lo Brown and Tess. They, they'd got this match as a result of winning a pre-show battle royal they became a tag team they didn't really want to it was all all a bit odd um jeff jarrett carry how do you spell that <laughs> um yeah i don't know how, how would i ever know that <laughs> j-e-double-f-j-a-double-r-e-double-t-double-j how could you know that if only someone had told us that before i would have known He's an interesting character, isn't he? His, his WWF run ended in, in acrimony, but they got him back this year for the Hall of Fame, which is kind of nice, given that he's had a, a rough time of his own over the last decade or yeah, so. Yeah, some of it entirely self-inflected. Um, but yeah, what you say about him paying tribute to Owen and the Raw afterwards, um, I think I'm right in saying he was also next out to the ring after Owen died. Is that right in that pay-per-view? So obviously... Jeff and Owen being close friends, and then Jeff and Deborah were waiting out in gorilla position as they were clearing the ring. So Jeff had to go out there and do his match. I think at that point they didn't know, they didn't that know he, he died. Was dead, yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, th- this whole match kind of made my heart hurt quite a lot just seeing them together. So I, yeah, I'm not going to say anything too scornful or mocking. 
We can do that about the next thing, though, because it's a, it's a real oddity in WrestleMania history, but something which was kind of glorious to watch again because Bart Gunn didn't die. I'm talking about Butterbean <laughs> versus Bart Gunn Ooh. in the Brawl for All. Before we get to that, um, Axel, explain the Brawl for All, this, this one-time tournament that was supposed to be legit and ended up being just hilarious. I would love to be able to explain it, but it's so bonkers when you say it out loud. People will go, no, that wasn't a thing. I didn't believe it was a thing. So Brawl for All was effectively a Russo fever dream where he wanted to legitimise some kind of combat sport and basically said to the roster, right, who wants to go and fight in a ring? And there's uh, 75k up for grabs or something like that. And then we're going to have a tournament and mix it with some legitimate kind of fighters and some have got pro backgrounds and go for it. And obviously some of them said yes and they got very hurt. You, you could... You could- Box, throw boxing punches, yeah. but you could kick as well. Exactly. Three rounds, wasn't it, I think? Yeah. Um, Three one-minute rounds, and there was also a judge involved. Um, the initial, So the plan was um, Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Yeah, Steve JR's boy. Fantastic name, by the way. Um, dull as Ditchwater. Dull as Ditchwater. But had, had I, he either had real-life fighting chops or was just a, a hard bastard. But the whole locker room thought he was nails. They all thought yeah. he was going to win it. He was a scary guy. So the idea was he was going to... They were going to have the tournament and inevitably Dr. Death would win and Dr. Death would then go on to feud with Stone Cold. He gets cleaned out by Bart Gunn. Bart Gunn wins, brawl for all. <laughs> Knocks the heck out of uh, JBL. Which... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, take... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then gets, and gets to this final at WrestleMania where Axel... Where he takes on Butterbean. And Butterbean was not as um, friendly and, and lovely as he sounds. No, so Butterbean is a one of those... If anyone has ever seen um, Boxcar Homer, the Simpsons episode, <laughs> it reminds me of, of that. He's a kind of New York um, boxer of the time with a pro record, legitimate pro record, but clearly could handle himself in the ring. Uh, effectively, Unlike a, Homer in that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But effectively a sort of, you know, a glove for hire. Comes into the ring... And just destroys this poor guy. Clocks him right out in how many seconds? <laughs> and it's it's a punch that I mean, I remember at the time watching it as a kid and thinking, Oh, he's dead, that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Barbine is the IWA boxing champion at the time. Uh, he's a knockout specialist. He is uh, he very often does like the Howard Stern. He did a jackass segment where Johnny Knoxville basically wrapped himself in bubble wrap and would try and knock me out, and Butterbean did. And then Johnny Knoxville, when he comes to, goes, is Butterbean okay? Which is quite funny. <laughs> this guy was renowned for fighting power, which begs the question, if your entire idea was, we're going to get Steve Williams over, and then he doesn't work, and he, but you get Bart Gunn, why do you risk embarrassing Bart Gunn by making fight a non-wrestler in Butterbean? Who... By all counts, Barbeen was angry walking out to the ring. He looked as if he had something to prove to the world. And yeah, he gets a knockout, knocked down within the first five seconds. Bart is not looking great. Stands up. Bart tries to throw a punch. Gets hit with one of the biggest right hands you will see. And uh, yeah, this is peak Vince Russo. Here's an idea. My goodness. <laughs> it was just Vince Russo can do a lot of good wrestling stuff. And there was the part... I think about a decade ago in TNA, where it turned out Vince Russo was writing their scripts under a fake name. And Dixie Carter basically went, wrestling fans like Vince Russo, as long as they don't know it's Vince Russo. 
Um, and if you give Vince Russo a very good editor, basically, no, that's nonsense, cut this down, you will eventually get to a really good nugget. And 1999, 97 to 99 was a really interesting time for all combat sports because UFC was becoming a thing. And you will see this a lot. Ken Shamrock is popping up, boxers are popping up, and they're all trying to figure out what the next big leap is. And then, like, WWE tries this every now and again. We're like, we're going to have a UFC-style match or bring in someone from the ultimate fighting world, because it wasn't UFC at the time. And I think Shane McMahon, near the end, before he left the very first time, basically went, I'm, I'm going to try and buy UFC. And it, that was one of his big things that got nixed. And then, basically, Triple H now looks like he'll inherit everything. Um, but yeah, this is this is again one of the big like we're, we're trying to figure out what the next big thing is because boxing looks like it's dying, but no one figured it out. And even then, UFC still, UFC still can't figure out now because they nick everything from WWE. So it's a it's a weird situation from all these weird people who get too many concussions. Yeah, they went from trying to own combat sports and then they tried to own reality TV. Mm. And there's always something they're trying to look for the next thing. And I could uh, I could see what they were trying to do, and it makes sense from a business point of view as well. You know, you've, you've got to protect your product and you've got to try and grow it. Look out for your competitors. That was Brawl for All. Next, we're going to talk about what I am going to posit was the worst intercontinental title match of all time at WrestleMania. Road Dogg, the champion, defeated Goldust with the Blue Meanie and Ryan Shamrock, of course. Ken Shamrock and Val Venus. Um, Favourite Ryan Shamrock moment, Gary? No idea. <laughs> was it a rubbish match? I've got nothing written about this. Okay, well, that suggests that so, maybe it was. No idea. And Cole's looking equally confused. Nothing in my notes about this. Is... Have I made this up? Gold dust no, with the blue meanie definitely. in this corner. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't imagine this. <laughs> and the blue meanie and Ryan Shamrock were were arguing amongst themselves, and that is sort of why Gold dust lost the match, and it was all Ryan Shamrock's fault because she's a woman, basically. Yeah. Huh. Weird. I didn't imagine that. <laughs> it was all, like, really odd. And also, by this point, so Shamrock's been in the company two years, I think, by this point. And he's a shell of the man that, that came in, isn't he? I mean, he's really, like, bad, and there's no aura around him, and he's not, you know, he's supposed to be this big, scary, sort of cage-fighting guy, and he's just somebody that, you know, tries to control his sister. It's all a bit sad, really, isn't it? It all just petered out really quickly for, for Shamrock. Yeah, we'll talk about him next week, and uh, there's certainly more of an intensity about him then. Um, final match we'll talk about. Hardcore Holly defeated Al Snow and Billy Gunn, who was the champion in the Hardcore title match. Um, this wasn't great. I wonder, uh, either Carl or Anton, was Carrie a little bit harsh on Al Snow last week? I always thought he was solid, if unspectacular, but um, Carrie seems to think he's, he's dreadful. Uh, like many things on this podcast... You stare at it long enough, like, oh yeah, Carrie was right. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe I'm a bit, I'm, a, I'm sort of biased toward him a little because he seemed like quite a nice bloke on Tough Enough. And on, stuff. As a trainer, he's yeah. like a nice guy. Yeah, I completely agree. I never liked the the head. I never got the head character, and it was not. It's not. It's, not, it's I, what everybody I, I understand wants. it. I just never really understood why it was. And it was popular. And that's what I didn't understand. Why is this so popular? Just, I liked him having "Help Me" written across his forehead. <laughs> um, yeah. I enjoyed the variety of weapons in this match. So there was a hockey stick, someone used the broom. I was like, ah, yay, weapons other than kendo sticks and dustbin lids. Um, yeah, it's 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 below cromulent. It's, again, part of the, the fun. Oh, yeah, Billy Gunn. They tried so many times to make him work. He couldn't embiggen this match, though, could he? Could he could not. He could not embiggen this match. Bob Holly comes across as a dick again as well. So it's, it's such you know, a dickhead. Yeah. Such a dickhead. <laughs> 
I must confess, and this is a confession, I read his autobiography, Bob Holly. Um, it wasn't very good. Uh, but you he, shocked me. He, he did <laughs> have a fight a with a bear reading. once, uh, and he really doesn't like Triple H at all. A fight with a bear or a wrestle with a bear? Oh, uh, a wrestle, important. yeah. yeah. Okay, because yeah. all the greats wrestled a bear. Daniel Bryan wrestled a bear. Bob Lopez Holly. Wrestled a bear. Stu Hart used to have a bear underneath yes. the Hart house. It's a weird business in wrestling. <laughs> um, WrestleMania moments. Carrie, you can go first. Oh, you didn't mention my favourite bit, which was Val Venus and everyone just laughing at him because I actually quite enjoy Val Venus despite it just being absolutely grotesque. And I enjoy that he has that kind of element of self-satirisation, which a lot of wrestlers don't have. And I think it's just really interesting to see the way that he puts himself across, the way he's presented compared to the way that they start to present the divas in a couple of years' time. So, yeah, Val Venus, shout out to him. And there was, of course, he's part of one of the most memorable lines in, in company history, choppy, choppy, a pee-pee. <laughs> look, look that up if you like. Um, Car- don't. Don't Google that, <laughs> listeners. Please don't. Oh, you've got to be very careful with the actual phrasing of that when you <laughs> put it into it. You have pub- to add Kai and Tai at the end of it, yeah, otherwise. Don't do it in a public library or something. Just- yeah, yeah. The police will come and knock in. Carl, did you have a WrestleMania moment? Uh, I'm going to use this time to give a shout to Mark Eaton, who is the. The timekeeper. The timekeeper and the man who supplies Stone Cold Steve Austin with his beer at the end of a uh, match. Um, yeah, there, there's a lovely bit in the Austin podcast where he interviews Mark Eaton and basically goes. You know, I was you throwing me between six to twelve beers every big main event match, and I'm shotgunning them after wrestling for twenty five minutes. I used to get drunk pretty quickly, and also, how did we never like? You very rarely see Stone Cold drop a beer when he does this. I think I had notes from like maybe it was WrestleMania thirty where he dropped one. I was so shocked. And it was a great conversation he had with Mark. He's like, how did we always just know what to do? Um, so yeah, just just a nice mention to the, the man behind the beer magic, Mark Eaton. <laughs> Axel? Mine's also... Still can't get used to that. Mine's also Stone Cold Beer. It's seen Earl Hebner with a, with a beer, celebrating with Stone Cold in the ring at the end of the match as well. I was like, oh, quite... His little face, he's beaming, his little face. He's like... Because he's in the main event of Mania in what was a great match as well. And it's just like, of course it means something to him as well. Yeah, good for you, Will. He actually took a couple of those beers and sold them behind the <laughs> yeah. back outside the arena. Um, mine is uh, a couple of signs. Uh, I need a poop. I wonder what the person who took that to WrestleMania 19 years later thinks about it. And pork is kosher. I mean... <laughs> that, that was a that sign was that was held yeah. up in this event and, and there you go that's, that's wrestling because there's been controversy about uh, Hell in a Cell recently about certain signs being confiscated, taped, confiscated. Yeah. so yeah this is a wow I mean that's Porky, por- I don't know why Porky's coaches made me laugh so much <laughs> no, don't be. could have one more yeah it's uh, Michael Cole uh, trying to sell across the danger of Hell in a Cell so before I talked about how JR really understood how to sell that Hell in a Cell was like a great life altering thing and Michael Cole just popped up and goes Hell in a Cell is different from a cage you might get your finger caught in there (laughs) oh that was so weird in the first match he says that yeah Michael Cole says you might get your finger caught in the cage in Hell in a Cell in the Bossman match and Lawler's just going what you get a finger caught in there (laughs) so I think you can hurt yourself a lot more than getting your finger caught (laughs) as Bossman would find out Uh, next week Wrestlemania 14 is on the agenda don't worry folks it's way better than the last two lame offerings we've got Austin's Ascension Mike Tyson Terry Funk Triple H versus Owen Hart and plenty more besides Uh, Carrie where can people keep up with you on the tweets on the Twitters at Carrie Sparkle and also you're doing a run in a couple of weeks aren't you Um, (laughs) tell people about that and and what you can what you can do to support it yes I am running the Bournemouth Marathon 
marathon uh, at the start of October and I am raising money for Great Ormond Street Hospital in memory of a friend of mine who died in May. So if anyone uh, was interested in sponsoring me, you can do by either tweeting me and I'll send you the link or you can go straight to uh, justgiving.com forward slash Carrie Bournemouth. Carl, if people want to keep up with your musings on wrestling and uh, the retweets that you do, which are always from really funny accounts, which make me think, oh, I'm not very good at Twitter. Uh, where can I do that? Anchorman616. And Pink Kits. He's obsessed with Pink Kits, isn't he? Well? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that Man United one. I like it. I'm a millennial. I like millennial pink. <laughs> and they ripped it off Dulwich Hamlet and it reminds me of that and episode Juventus. of Friends where um, Rachel put a red sock in the first time she did a wash and everything came out pink anyway Anton at Sky Anton at I Sky believe Anton. is the place to keep up it to is. date with it's you it's nowhere near as interesting as Carl's though so. alright well thanks for listening rate, review, share, subscribe please I've been Matt Davis Adams uh, don't forget to follow us too at the PU podcast and I am at MJDAFC thanks for listening once more you've been in Parts and Nuts The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.